it there. He did better than I would have on both the guitar and the and the singing. So, <laughs> yeah, Amen is right. Yeah, that's right. All right, if you have your Bibles, go to First Timothy chapter six. So we're gonna, the Lord willing, we're gonna finish uh, chapter six, or we're gonna finish the book uh, this week, and then. Um, um, look at starting something else next week, I think, with, with Pastor Josh. And, uh, and so as we finish this book and as you're turning to 1 Timothy 6, you know, let me just remind you, one of the main things, you know, as we uh, went through a pastoral uh, epistle, uh, you know, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, or pastoral epistles, see, one of the things we recognize or need to recognize, be reminded of, is that Christ said he would build his church. And, um, and so we could be confident that he, he is going to accomplish that. And it's really, really important in our day and age uh, to understand that, that he's Lord of the church. He will build his church. And, and, and we don't need to use our cleverness and tricks and our pragmatism to try to help Jesus out with the church. That is rampant in our day and age. And when you read the pastoral epistles, guys, Christ has given us clear direction. On how to order his church. And, and it's not my prerogative. Pastor Josh's prerogative. Or all of us together. To violate things that he's given in his word. To try to get the church to get bigger. And, and yet that um, th that's too often happens. And so without being critical of other things. My point is. is we want to go through and be reminded and see these things. These, 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 these uh, truths and such. And when we go through the pastoral epistles. There's so much that's so applicable. And we're even going to see that um, this evening. As we, as we uh, uh, close. Um, because uh, as we close out this epistle. Because like we saw uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Kind of those theme verses for the whole book. Uh, Paul wrote, I hope to come to you soon. In verse 14, he says, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And when the church compromises on the truth, um, it fails to be what it's intended to be, the buttress and pillar of the truth. And so these things are so important, and yet... To stand firm on them goes against the spirit of the age, and that includes too often even in uh, uh, the Christian living section in, in bookstores. And so, um, um, so that's why you know, we thought it was so applicable to go through, and uh, there's so much in it. Uh, this evening, uh, we'll be reminded uh, once again, of, again, how applicable God's word is to, to all of uh, his people throughout all time. So... Uh, let me begin by uh, just saying a word of prayer, and then we'll read the text and we'll go on. So uh, let, let me pray before we even start. Uh, dear Lord, we do thank you for who you are. Uh, we thank you uh, for the gospel, uh, for the glorious gospel of the forgiveness of sins, and, and that we can be made right with you through Christ and what he's done, that we can uh, honor you with our lives, that we can please you, that we can uh, live our lives in a way that would bring honor and glory to you, which is what we were made for. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your instruction, uh, your clear instruction. We thank you for your spirit. We just pray now that your spirit would uh, help us to understand your word better, help us to uh, not just understand it, but help us to have a desire uh, to, to obey it, to follow it, uh, and to love you more. And so help us to that end this evening, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so um, just got back from Greenville an hour ago. Um, 
and appreciate all the prayers for Timmy and getting him going there. And we're looking forward to that um, transition and, and all the things, a lot of good things, exciting things happening there. But I'm hoping I can keep this all together. Okay. I, I think I can, but it's, it's been studied scattered throughout. So, uh, but let's read the text and that's, we're just going to start at verse 17. That's where pastor Josh ended right after that doxology. And we'll read to the end of the book. Uh, God's word says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Um, and notice there, grace be with you, at least the ESV has a little note there, and the you there is plural, and that's one of those English, it's hard to see that, so hence there's the note. So when it says grace, first Timothy was written to who? Not a trick question. Who? To Timothy. But as he closes, he says, grace be with, and he doesn't say singularly, to Timothy. That's the point. He says to youngs for around here, or y'all, right? And so everybody. So the point is, he's understanding this to be applicable to the whole church, okay? And so we'll uh, uh, hopefully highlight some of that in a minute. Now, what I want us to see is you got two basic paragraphs here, two basic ideas, two basic warnings and, and commands. And the first one is kind of about money. Okay. And the second one is, is about guarding and guarding the deposit of truth. And so, um, so we're just going to kind of look at each one of those separately. The first one, um, I want us to understand something because this is important. It's throughout the scriptures, but notice in verse 17, he says, as for the rich, but is it, is it just the rich or is there a qualifier for the rich? See, it's the rich. What kind of rich? School starts soon, guys, so you're going to have to start thinking, okay? So I'm just priming the pump the tonight, okay? So it says the rich who? And maybe some of you guys don't have copies to look in front of you. If you don't, I encourage you to get one. What's that? Rich in this present age, okay? And this, this is what I want us to understand. This is important, okay? And I think worth the taking a little bit of time for okay but he says he says as for the rich in this present age and and of course what's he talking about he's talking about people who are materially wealthy who have a lot of possessions who own a lot of things in this world but but as soon as you mention in this present age what does that kind of imply there's another age, there's another age. you understand that like if you're rich in this present age okay that, that may or may not have ramifications for in another age, in the coming age, okay? And I want us to understand, because a lot of times we read over and, and we're not always thinking things through, but biblically, uh, you always have this age and the age to come, this age and the age to come. You see it throughout the New Testament. I'm going to take a little bit of time here, but it's worthwhile. Um, Luke 18, you can turn there if you want to be quick. I'm not going to wait long. I don't have, I don't have time to do a PowerPoint, but um, Luke 18, verse 30, uh, familiar passage. He says this, Jesus speaking. He says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now listen, 
who will not receive many times more in this time or in the age to come eternal life. Okay, so you understand there? He's saying they're blessed in both ages, right? Okay, or we could go to uh, Matthew 12, 32. Matthew 12, verse 32, uh, where Jesus says, uh, speaking to the Pharisees when they said that he casts out demons by the power of Satan, okay, he said, man, they're quick. Is that a distraction? <laughs> no, no, it's just, it's quick, though, okay. Uh, but verse 32, he says this, Jesus says, whoever speaks a word, most of us are familiar with this, the, the unpardonable sin, uh, whoever speaks a word against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now, my point in bringing that up is not to talk about the unpardonable sin. My point in that is to say, whatever that unpardonable sin is or was, Jesus is saying, you can't be forgiven for that. When? In this age or in the age to come. So is there another age that you could be forgiven in? Or was his point, you can't ever be forgiven? You understand, you can't ever be forgiven. And his way of saying it, you can't ever be forgiven, is to say, not in this age, not in the age to come, there's no forgiveness for that sin. Again, not getting into what that is, but the point is, there's no forgiveness for it. So you're seeing Jesus is embracing this present age, age to come model. And, and, and guys, we could literally all night just look at this through the New Testament. It's that prevalent. Okay? And that's why I wanted to highlight it, because a lot of times we're not too familiar with it. Uh, Luke 20, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 34 Luke 20, verse 34, uh, says this. Uh, and again, Jesus talking, uh, 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 correcting the Sadducees. But he says, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead, they neither marry or are given in marriage. And so you start to see there's differences between this present age and the age to come. This present age is there, we see, number one, I mean, one of the things that's the same is you're not forgiven of the unpardonable sin, this age or the age to come. But you see a difference now. There's marriage, okay, in this age. There won't be marriage in that age to come. You see that? I mean, that's the distinction he draws. Um, um, let's see, I think a couple more here. Um, uh, in fact, First Timothy chapter 4 the book we've been in, he's already actually mentioned this. First uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, for while bodily training is of some value, okay, godliness uh, is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. So he's saying, remember when I think Pastor Josh preached through that, that there's value in both ages there. Um, Romans 8 Verse 18, I tried to pick ones that would be familiar, but then as you reflect on it, you would see or be reminded of these, uh, 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 this way of thinking. But Romans 8, verse 18, Paul writes, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, uh, uh, of this present time, are not worthy comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. So you see, we suffer now, okay, but the sufferings of this present time is nothing for the glory that's to come in the age to come. You see that? And you start to see that there's some contrast. In fact, Romans 13, verse 12, <clears throat> excuse me, it says the night, that's this age, is the night is far gone, the day is at hand. 
That's the age to come. So then let us cast off works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so when you, you get to a, a parable like uh, Matthew 13, where he explains the wheat and the tares. Okay. Uh, this is where you have the age to come. Or the, I mean, the present age is, is filled with sin until the harvest. And then what's happened at the harvest? There's separation. You no longer have the righteous and the wicked together. Okay? So you start to see this idea of the, 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 that there's sin and there's, there's death in this age. But guys, in the age to come, will there be sin? No, they'll be separated out. Will there be death? See, there won't be death. And I'm not going to go through all the texts that lay this out. So we begin to see this. Now, one of the things that confused the, <clears throat> the uh, people of Jesus' day is they expected the Messiah to come in and bring in the age to come. That's why John the Baptist was so confused. Because where was he when he was so confused? In prison by a sinful, wicked man. But you understand, like in his, his way of thinking, if Jesus was bringing in this, the age to come, what, how should it have been? There shouldn't have been sin. You, you see, understand that? And see, one of the things that the New Testament really push, pushes forward is this fact that the age to come, when Jesus came, has invaded this present age. And that's why we have, I'm, I'm sure most of you have heard this, already and not yet. See, we already experience aspects of the age to come, the new creation, if you're in Christ. You already experience some things, but do you experience it to the fullness? No, we have to wait till that harvest, okay, till that separation when Christ comes back, that we'll have that. Okay, and the, the reason I bring this up uh, is back in 1 Timothy 6, there's lots of implications and things to think through about this, but the main thing I want us to think about to, to this evening is that we realize that what Paul is saying is that those who are rich in this present age, okay, uh, there's, there's a time to come. And he even says in verse, um, <clears throat> verse 19, he says, if, if, you, if you do verse 18, okay, which we'll get there, do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, then it stores up treasure for themselves as a foundation for the, and, and the ESV says the future, um, uh, King James says for the coming age, okay, which I think would be, would be better in, in understanding what he's saying. In other words, the point is this guys, as Christians, if you trusted the gospel, if you're walking with Christ, our values, our, our way of life should be defined by the age to come, not this present age. You, you understand that? And so that's what, what, what Timothy, or what Paul is, is exhorting Timothy right off the bat. And we're going to see these values. That's why you see so often the, the New Testament values are so different than what values are in this present evil age. Uh, Galatians 1 calls it this present evil age. Okay, And so that's what he's calling for, is, is that the rich ought to use their wealth in a way uh, that shows they're trusting in God. We'll see that in a minute. And that, that they're storing up. For the, the age that matters, okay, and um, um, and so what he what he what he argues here, what he's saying here, and we see this right off the bat, is he says, as for the rich in this present age, as for those who are material wealthy. Now think about this. He charges Timothy, who's apostolic delegate, so he's a little more than pastor, if you will, but he's the pastor of a church. And and was he old or young? You guys remember? Remember he was young. Remember where. 
Paul had said, don't let people despise your youth. So here we have a young, and by young, okay, he's probably like Josh, 40 or something, right? Young buck, okay? Don't think like he's 15 or something, but, um, so, but, but relatively young for a leadership position, you know, and so anyway, so, and we don't know his age, but that's a educated guess is somewhere late 30s, 40s, somewhere in there. But the point is this, people who have material wealth, okay, people who are rich in this present age tend to assume that because they have wealth, they have influence. That's just, that's, that's human nature in our day and age. And so understand just the reversals here. Paul tells Timothy, okay, in this church that's filled with slaves, remember they were addressed in the beginning of chapter six, needy widows who are dependent on the church for their sustenance, to wealthy people. So you have people all over the place, but he was charged to command the, the, the rich, those who are rich. Okay. And, and so my point is, is, is we see uh, already kind of a, a reversal of values. Okay. Because in our day and age, the, the tendency would be, well, who are you young guy to tell me I, I influence, you know how much money I give to the church? I mean, you understand the thinking, Okay, I think most of us can see the danger in it. But even if we see the danger in it, that is the natural way it goes. Okay, uh, when we accumulate, when people accumulate wealth, they tend to assume that they deserve influence. That that they that they're smarter, even in ways that they didn't accumulate, that didn't lead to them accumulating wealth. If that if that makes sense, you see this really clear when Americans go into third world countries to help them, okay? Because they'll come into places where they don't know anything what's going on. They don't know how best to help them. They don't, and, and very rarely, t- to our chagrin, do Americans ask and try to do what's best. They just come in and say, well, this is what it is. And granted, they're the ones with all the money, so that tends to just go that way. But, but you tend to see that. And, so, and it shows two things there. Number one, Having riches often leads to pride, thinking you know better about things, even that don't have to do with money. And two, it often leads poor people to feel they're inferior. Okay? The brokenness goes both both ways. Okay? And so the point that I want us to see, though, is he says, as for the rich in this present age, so he's talking to people who are wealthy. Now, he's already talked about money. Remember, he said, basically, you can't. Come in the world with nothing. You're going to leave the world with nothing. The godliness. Um, go back up to verse. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, verse eight. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. And so the point is, understand the distinction. He, he was addressing back then, a few verses earlier, people who desire to be rich, right? What's the greatest evil, the, the root of all evil? It's not all evil, it's all kinds of evil, but what's that root? See, it's not money. It's the love of money. It's desiring money too much. That's what he's dealing with. Now, how much money do you have to have to desire money too much? See, it doesn't matter. You could have a lot of money, and you, but you could, 
or you could have none. It doesn't matter. Either one is potentially going to desire it too much. Now he's speaking to the people who have a lot in this world. And for us, here's the thing, guys. For us, I mean, all of us, that's us. I mean, if you compared us to the congregation listening to this right here, I mean, every one of us has way more, okay? So there's lots of application for us to consider. Um, It's easy to look at people who have less, but as Western American Christian at this point, we have a lot. And he says what? As for the rich in this present age, what should they be commanded? What should we be commanded? First, he gives two warnings. Number one, not to be haughty. What does haughty mean? What's that? Thinking, yourself Thinking you're better than other people. That's pride. Okay, so the first thing he says is make sure you're not proud. Make sure those who have a lot of money aren't proud. And I'll just say, guys, the tendency, that's our nature, is when we get money, when we have a lot, the more we get, the more we think, uh, 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 well, look what I've done. The more we think we don't really need God, the more we think we know better than others, even if it has nothing to do with the field. Okay, I mean, I could give stories and stories here. I ain't going to go there. Okay, But you can talk to people with a lot of money and they will tell you about something that is not in their field at all. And, and there's somebody who doesn't have a lot of money in their field and they will not listen to the one. I mean, it's crazy. Okay, I'm not saying all of them. I'm just saying that is the tendency. And so right off the bat, he says, don't do that, okay? Um, um, And one of the main things is to recognize that where does riches and poor come from? 1 Samuel 2, verse 7, just a quick, in Hannah's prayer, she just makes this point right here. She says, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts, okay? And, and, And it's... When you're poor, it's hard, you know, you go, but you can recognize maybe God's sovereignty in things, okay? But when you're rich, is that our tendency to think the Lord makes rich? What's our tendency? Well, I made rich. I had to work hard. Okay, I had to do this. I had to do, and so the point is, that's what leads to that pride. We'll see that in a minute. The second thing he says is, don't be haughty and don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. And I love that phrase, the uncertainty of riches. So what he's saying is, don't seek your security in in having stuff. Don't seek your security in possessions and accumulating in your bigger barns. Don't seek your security in that. And and the point is, is again, that's our nature. But I love how God's word cuts to the chase. Because most people won't say, well, you know, I'm working extra and I'm doing all this to uh, set my security on the uncertainty of riches. You understand that? Yeah. See, when, when you point out the uncertainty of it, it shows how, how it doesn't make any sense to set our security in that. Does that make sense? And, and think of the uncertainty. Now, he already said earlier in this verse that, or earlier in this chapter, he says you can't take it, you're going to come into the world with what? What do you come into the world with? Not. And when you leave, what are you going to leave with? Nothing. Okay? So we already he's already established that it doesn't do any good when you enter the world or when you leave the world. But, but also, think about the uncertainty of riches in that you're not guaranteed to have it in a year. Think of the amount of extremely wealthy people who've lost everything overnight. It happens all the time. Okay, So to put your hope in something like that, 
And that's what, he, that's what I love that phrase, the uncertainty of riches, because we tend to not think that when we, we start to put too much emphasis on the uncertainty of riches. Okay? Um, and, and let me just emphasize, human nature does not change. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, God warned the Israelites the same, these same sorts of things. Okay? Uh, so human nature, whether it was in 2000 BC or whatever it was, I think Moses was around there, or, you know, 2080, guys, you know, 2022. It doesn't matter. Human nature is the same. Fallen human nature is the same. And that is we tend to trust, we tend to think too much of ourselves, and we tend to trust the possessions and things we accumulate rather than the Lord. Listen to what God says as he's about to, this is Deuteronomy, they're about to go into the promised land. He says, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and of springs, flowing into the valleys and the hills. A land of wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates. A land of olive trees and honey. A land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing. A land whose stones are iron, uh, and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So, I mean, understand, he's emphasizing this is a good land he's bringing them to. Okay? And then, verse 11, very similar. He says what? Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his rules, his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good homes, good houses and live in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Uh, uh, he goes on, if you jump down to verse 17, he says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to, the, to your fathers as it is this day. And so the point is, guys, is that he's emphasizing, is, is, and back in 1 Timothy, he's emphasizing uh, uh, not to fall, be, he's warning of us of pride and of, of, of depending on putting our security on the things we can accumulate. And I think if we're honest, guys, that's so easy to do because that's where our culture is. I mean, both of those things. That is, that's human nature. That's exactly where our culture is. is. It all depends on what you can get ready and have. Say, and again, I'm not against retirement. I'm not saying you should never have any retirement, anything like that. But I'm saying is if your hope is put there, okay, if you're willing to sin to make sure you have enough, okay, you're, you're directly violate, but in that violating this, this principle. You're living by the spirit of this present age and not the age to come. See, God is the one who takes care of us. And, but he says, we want to make sure, he says, our hope ought to be on God. And then he emphasizes what? God who richly provides us. Just like we read how he richly provided for the Israelites in the land of Canaan. How they're going to eat, be satisfied, have more than they need. It's not a sin to have more than you need. He says, uh, uh, here he says, on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And so it's not a sin to enjoy the creation. It's not a sin to have more than you need. And, but the emphasis is that we're to enjoy it with gratitude to God, not conceit. 
Okay, I mean, that's the big difference. Okay, this is very similar. He's already dealt with this back in chapter four, but when he was dealing with the false teachers who were saying, you know, oh, don't get married, uh, don't eat certain foods and drink certain foods, he said in chapter four, verse four, he says, he says, basically, don't listen to them. Okay, those false teachers who are trying to keep you from following uh, and enjoying these these things. He says, for everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And so the point is, we need to understand it's not a sin, it's not wrong to, to enjoy the blessings of God. Okay, We shouldn't should feel guilty because we have more than we need. Okay, and uh, And again, that's an important thing too because of, of a lot of messages out there. But then he goes on to say there are, uh, that doesn't mean we should just be self-indulgent. Okay? Just because we can enjoy the blessings of God and it's not wrong to have more than we need, that's not an excuse to be self-indulgent. He's already condemned self-indulgence uh, with the, 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 the widows. Uh, I think it was verse 6 about the, 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 um, the widow who is self-indulgent, who is dead even while she lives. Okay, and so the point is, is enjoying the blessings of God beyond what you need, beyond what your needs are, is not a sin. But, but, but to be self-indulgent and just focus on herself, that's just as wrong. And notice what he says. This is, these are, he gives four commands to the rich. Number one, he says they're to do good. They're to do good. Number two, they're to uh, be rich. Well, they already are rich. While they're rich in this present age, they're to be rich in good works. Now, here's an interesting thing. This is something for pastors. To the first two things that Paul commands rich people in the congregation, rich Christians, Christians who are rich in this present age, has nothing to do with money. He doesn't ask them for a dollar. doesn't take a dollar to do good and to be rich in good works. You could be the poorest person in the world and you could do those things. You understand that? See, the, so the first thing we need to understand is, is, is uh, 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 that every Christian is called to active personal involvement in deeds of mercy. Okay? And this is where I'd encourage, like, especially like you kids who, I mean, you're not working and you're not involved in, in, in such like that. You can already begin to, 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 to have a, a generous heart okay, as you seek to follow Christ. Uh, um, Money is not needed, and learning to, 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 I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, to, to not complain about little sacrifices in daily life. Think about this, okay? Taking the, not, not, not demanding the biggest piece of cake whenever, you know, you get, you know, but giving that to somebody else. Is that a sacrifice? I don't know if sacrifice is the right word for that, but... <laughs> I mean, could you have more? That's my point. <laughs> if you really like cake, that's a sacrifice, right? Okay. But kids, is it easy to do that? I mean, when you come up and you're the first one up and there's all these, and you know there's just enough cake for everyone, do you, you, are you guys examine the size pieces? Do you guys ever notice when one is bigger than others? Do you ever notice when one is smaller than others? Only when it's mine, right? Huh? So the point is, is, is guys, I, I mean, for adults, letting other people have closer parking spaces, okay? Um, 
being mindful, and I have to say this because I'm just, when you have bigger families, you think this way, but guys, leaving some hot water for the next person, okay? <laughs> you got eight people who need to shower, okay? You don't have to use all the hot water. And I'm not, I'm not, pre, I'm not picking on my kids or don't misunderstand anything like that. I'm just trying to give very practical examples where even children, guys, you can begin to think about having a spirit of generosity without having money. That's what I'm trying to get at. Uh, you can be, you can seek to be rich in good deeds, guys, without anything. Okay. It's a good thing to think about the person who has to shower after you. Do you want to shower in cold water in the winter? Yeah, see? So think about that. I just, I just had a bunch of examples here, okay? Uh, think about being, you know, sharing with, you know, he says to be shareful in a minute, ready to share, okay? But sharing your tools or to, uh, if you're older, tools or toys, um, um, you know, I can't read what this other thing is. Oh, yeah, the dinners, okay? Ever think about Latin? All the adults go first or something. Again, I'm not trying to get anything. Don't think I'm trying to manipulate. I'm just trying to say, if, if you kids, you young people and adults, if we start to try to think about how we can be rich in good works and serve the people around us, guys, really the, the opportunities are endless. I'm just throwing out things that we can kind of laugh at because we all know, well, we'd like to be first in line, especially if Scott goes late, which I don't think I will. I don't think I will, okay? Um, and then, uh, so anyway, so that's the point. And then he says, so the first two things have nothing to do even with money. And then he says, he says what? What are the last two things? He says to be generous and ready to share, okay? And, uh, and then, uh, and again, so now it's using your money. It's kind of, the idea is almost, he had already said that the, the false teachers view uh, godliness as a, as a means of gain, right? As a means to get stuff. And so now what he's basically saying, again, this is a paraphrase, isn't exactly what he's saying, but he's saying as, as people who aren't defined by this present age, but by the age to come, see, we ought to recognize that we can use stuff, we can use gain as a means of godliness. You understand the difference? See, it's not that we, we manipulate religion and godliness to get more stuff. No, we use our stuff in, in godliness, okay, to pursue godliness. Uh, to, 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 to do that. And so, and again, and then when he says in verse 19, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Just like you had a widow and you had truly a widow. A widow indeed. See, there's life, but then there's truly life. And how do you, he, what he's, 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 he's laying out the, the idea of, of exactly what Jesus said, don't lay up treasures on earth where Moth and rust and it decays and it goes away. But what did Jesus say? But lay up treasures in heaven. I mean, Paul is saying this is the exact same, same concept that he's saying here. And he's saying when you do that, you're, you're, you're laying up a foundation for that age to come. Uh, uh, this is why Jesus says in, in Acts, or actually it's Paul quoting Jesus. In, it's not Paul. No, it is Paul in Acts when he's talking to the Ephesian elders. He quotes and says that our Lord said it's better to give than receive, right? And so you kids might hear that's better to give than some of you guys I know are starting to already experience that in your lives, and that's great. But there, it is true. As you get older, guys, 
And one of the things about being married, I don't know if it's about married for every guy, I won't ask. But one of the things about getting married is at Christmas and stuff like that, not only do, am I surprised what I get, but I'm also surprised at what all my kids get. And, uh, and so, um, and my wife sometimes, but we won't go there. Not always on that one. But, <laughs> but let me say, is the joy in giving, as you get older, the joy, the, seeing the joy in other people's lives it, it really does. It makes it hard not to spoil. Okay, you, you almost want to. And I'm not getting into that. But the point is, there really is joy in bringing happiness to other people. Um, um, uh, Clement of Alexandria, he said it this way. In the end, it is not the one who keeps, but the one who gives away who is rich. And it is in giving away, not possession, which, uh, which renders a man happy. Okay, we watched, what movie was that we watched last night? Greatest Showman? Okay. And, um, and really, the theme was this right here. It was that there is more to life than money and fame. And it's bringing joy in other people's lives. And I was on a secular basis, but the, but the principle is very, very true. It's what Jim Elliott said. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep uh, to gain what he cannot lose. Okay? And so the point is, guys, is that's what it means to have that kingdom, be kingdom-minded. Now, the second command he gives... Is on, a, uh, is on the need for Timothy uh, to guard the deposit. He says, oh, Timothy. Okay, and so here it is at the end. He says, what? Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Now, let me break this down a couple things. So what we want to see first off is we're right back to where this epistle started. This epistle started... With, with Paul telling Timothy in verse 3 that Timothy needed to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So he's right back where he began. Okay, And, and notice the two things is to, to guard this deposit and to reject the false doctrine. Okay, To reject the uh, 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 irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. Okay, And those two things always go together. And this is what faithful... Church leaders, this is what faithful churches, this is why he says grace be with you. This isn't only on the churches, but on the church leaders. Uh, but much of it does fall on. These are the responsibilities we have to guard the deposit. What's the deposit? It's that apostolic truth that's been passed down over generations. Okay? Uh, uh, he, he says in 2 Timothy 1, verse 14, he says, uh, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, he says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others to share also. And so we see this apostolic, the truth that's entrusted to Paul, he shared entrusted to Timothy. And Timothy needed to find faithful men who could be entrusted with that truth for the next generation. And then they need that, and that's how it's been going. Okay. And so that shows the emphasis that we need to be faithful to cultivate faithful men to uh, uh, seek to guard that deposit that requires the guarding of the truth. And we'll see what, how that happens and, and what, and rejecting false false uh, 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 teaching and, and error. So let me say, that's why, and I, I forgot to bring mine, but 
Um, but that's why, well, it's one of the reasons why here at Grace Fellowship, that's why we, we, we took on the 1689 confession as our confession, okay? Is this, this reason right here. You can't guard the deposit if you don't say what you believe the deposit is. You understand that? So we, we hold to a historic confession, okay? And, and we say, this is what we believe the Bible teaches, Okay? Now, you don't have to believe everything in that confession to be a member of Grace Fellowship. Okay? But you would have to agree not to be divisive about anything in it, any truth in it. And I know several of you who, who, who do disagree with different aspects. Okay? But the point is, is, that's us as a church saying, this is what we believe. And I'm holding it like I have it, but you guys understand what I'm pretending to hold. Okay? The confession. And if you've read it, it is big. There's a lot in it. There's a lot in it. Okay? But the reason we do that is because only that way can there be accountability that we're actually guarding the deposit. Okay? You understand that? Because you guys know this is what they... It's not that we believe the confession is above the Bible. It's not. The person who says no creed but the Bible, very common among Baptists. No creed but the Bible. Number one, that's incoherent. Because no creed but the Bible is a creed outside the Bible. You understand that? The Bible doesn't say no creed but the Bible. That is a, a creed is something you believe. And so if that's your creed, it's incoherent. It's not even logical. Okay, but, but outside that, it's also dangerous because the person who says no creed but the Bible can only be held accountable if they, make, if they have a doctrinal statement of some sort. That's their creed now. And so by going to a historic document, all we're doing as, 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 as elder, as a church, is just saying... This has been historic Baptist teaching since 1689. So for, what is that, 400, you know, going on 400 years. And we're just saying, we're in, this is what we believe, okay? This is what we believe the Bible teaches. And, uh, and so, and, but understand, that's the rationale of why. It's not that creeds are more important than the Bible. It's no, if we say, well, we believe this, every cult says that. So what separates us from the cults? Well, it's because we believe this is what the Bible teaches. You understand that? And so that's a huge part. But then notice, if you go through the specifics of Timothy of how he's to guard the truth, guard the deposit of truth and reject the air, we see in chapter 1, verse 3, he, he needed to, to stop others teaching different doctrine. There are some things that ought not be taught. They need to be rejected. There needs to be people that will say, that's not, we don't believe that. Okay? Um, um, I could get into a long conversation here, but let me, how much time is there? I'm not going to, I'm going to pass on to something more applicable. But if you have questions on this or want to talk more after, I'd be happy to, uh, one ver uh, chapter one, verse nine, Timothy was to hold on to the faith. Okay. And keep a good conscience. Okay. In chapter three, verse two, he was to appoint qualified elders to teach the word. Okay. Uh, chapter 4.13, he was de to devote himself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Chapter 4, verse 16, he was to keep watch on himself and on his teaching. Uh, chapter 6, verse 12, 14, he was to fight the good fight of faith, to keep the commandment without fault or failure. And so one of the principal things we see in the pastoral epistles is a need for churches to, like I said, cultivate faithful men who will stand guard over this. Um, um, who, who know they're qualified and they know and teach and submit to God's word. So that, that's the rule that, that rules over the church. Right. See, if a man can do that in his life, 
He can do that in the church. But if we don't know the Bible well enough in our lives, you see that? That's why that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a good church leader. Uh, and this is also why we believe, and because of various texts in the Bible, of the importance of a plurality of elders. Okay? Because, because a single, I know that's the Baptist model, but a single pastor tends to rule autocratically uh, and unaccountably. Uh, it's just the way it goes with human nature, and, and, and I mean, we've all, I'm sure, seen it, and everybody has blind spots. That's right. Everybody. That's right. That's right. And to have a plurality is hopefully a guard that not every elder is going to have the same blind spot. Right. Understand that? Now, notice how important this is, but, but guys, this isn't just the elder's job. This is why he ends with grace be with you, and I'm going to get there in a minute, but give me like five minutes. He says... He says, notice he says that irreverent false teaching. He says, and I'm not going to get into what that is. Some people think it was early Gnosticism. Some people think it's, it's the false teaching that was mentioned where they said the resurrection had already come and it hadn't been here. But understand, whatever it is, it, 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 it presented itself like it was the true knowledge. And let me just say, almost every false teaching and even false ideology presents itself that way. That, that this is the way that enlightened people go. And you're just an idiot if you don't follow it. If you're the unenlightened, the uninitiative. Right. You can see that in culture. Okay, If you stand against the cultural ideologies, okay, what are you seen as? See, dumb, backward. Okay? If, you stand, if you stand for creation and stand against macroevolution, Darwinian macroevolution, not just micro, but... Darwinian macro, like we came from mud slime, you know, years and years and years ago. You stand against that, what are you seen as? In Pastor Josh's words, knuckle dragger, right? Knuckle dragger, okay? I mean, so the point is, is all false teaching has this element. Now, Gnosticism, I do think, had some specifics, but, but that's, that's what, this is what false teaching, this is one of the big draws to false teaching and, and false religion. Now, let me say a couple things about what it leads to is, 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 is it leads, verse 21, he says, it leads to, to what? To apostasy. To, to, to swerving from the faith. And, uh, and, and let me say this. Number one is apostasy, it amazes me the, the, the more I read and just familiar and preach through the Bible, how often apostasy is warned about. It is, it's in almost every New Testament book. It's, it's everywhere. Um, and so, we, again, that doesn't deter at all from God's sovereignty and salvation. I, I love a lot of brothers who, and sisters who, who don't hold that God's sovereign and salvation. But like, if you look at the scriptures, I, I think it's hard pressed to see, you know, uh, it's hard pressed to, to reject that, that God is sovereign in salvation. You understand what I'm saying? But guys, just because we believe and understand God to be sovereign in salvation, that doesn't eliminate this constant commands for perseverance and warning of apostasy. Right. And, and, and I think that's often commonly the case, but it, it can't be. We, we need to recognize that that's just as much there. And notice the apostasy is, is described as swerving from the faith. Nobody intends to end where they, they end up. Joshua Harris is one that many of you guys are familiar with. Divorced his wife, okay? Now he's, he's basically evangelizes people to become secular, agnostic, if not atheist. 
That's where he is now. He was a pastor 15, 20 years ago. Here's my point. What sin it was that led him down that road. If you'd have said when he just started getting into liberal doctrines and getting into that liberal seminary he went to. If you'd have said this is going to bring you to divorcing your wife, leaving your family, and being this kind of a person who's evangelizing other people outside to, to get them to leave the church. And, 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 and he just said, no way. No, you understand what I'm saying? My, the point I'm trying to make? That's not where people intend to go. But over time, that's what apostasy does. It takes us places we don't want to go. Okay? And so the question then that I would ask um, uh, uh, is, is, is this. Um, I don't have time to do this. No, I'm going to take the time. The question I have is this, is, is think through, if I were to ask you, and you don't have to answer out loud, but think in your head and really think about this, but what sin or sins, like, do you think especially lead to apostasy? Like, if I was to say, really watch out for what sin would you warn people? This one often leads to apostasy. Be really careful for this one. Can you think of it? What did you say? Pride. Pride, for sure. And you don't have to answer a lot, but I want, I want us to think through some things. Insufficiency of scripture. Insufficiency of scripture. Okay. Lying. What's that? Lying. 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 Yeah. Okay. Like lying. Okay. Like adding or changing or, or lying. Like, are you saying like pretending to be something you're not? Like hypocrisy? I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying to understand. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, that'd be huge. Okay. It's very interesting. This morning, we went with Timothy to the, the, the school he's probably going to, to the church he's probably going to go to. Uh, uh, Reformed Baptist uh, Fellowship there close to the school. And uh, we went to the Sunday school. And the Sunday school was going through Thomas Watson's uh, Godly Man's Picture. And it was going through the chapter on, on Hebrews 6, which is talking about apostasy falling away. And, and all that to say, I had a two-hour trip with too much time to think. But I think these are sanctified thoughts, and I want us to get and think them through. But he said, and this isn't contradicting anything that was said here, and this isn't scripture, but this is, I think it's good. But in that book, and Thomas Watson was a Puritan back in like the 15, 1600s, uh, he said, he argued that the sins that men and, and women, but he, the book was to men, uh, the sins to beware of in connection to apostasy, these are the top three that he said. Okay, And it was kind of goofy at first, but as I thought about it, I thought, the more I thought, he, he's spot on. But he said covetousness, unbelief, and cowardice. Those are the three, he said, men be careful of those because those lead to apostasy. Now let me quick break down why I think he's right. Okay, And this is for free, and then we'll, we'll close. Uh, uh, but think about this. When you think of apostasy, often we think of young kids going off to college, and then when they get there, what do they, what do they find? Freedom. Freedom that they've never had before, right? And so that freedom that they've never had before uh, uh, oftentimes then leads them uh, to partake in self-indulgence. Once again, we're into that, whether it be alcohol, drugs, girls, you know, whatever, okay? The point is there's lots of temptations out there, okay? And so well, when we think of covetousness, we usually think about, well, wanting what other people have. But guys, covetousness is, is having your order, your, your, your desires in disordered, 
Okay, that's what covetousness is, where you want things in the wrong order. So you want something more than you want God. That's ultimately what covetousness is. And, um, uh, and that's where Augustine said, we're all creatures with disordered desires, okay, until we, until we have God as our main desire, our orders will, our desires will, will always be disordered. And so the, the point is, then, is that covetousness, that desire for pleasure, for whatever, self-indulgence, and all, often is, is a huge thing that leads many to go down that road. And then that leads them to often embrace, I would argue, incoherent arguments against the faith. It leads them to unbelief. Leads them to say, well, 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 that's not true. I mean, there's no argument for gender ideology or, or, or uh, uh, evolution, like, like monkey to man evolution. I mean, there's nothing that's like logically going to bring you. But if you love your sin and, you, and it makes your conscience feel better, that's a big draw. Sin is, sin is very persuasive. And leading you away to unbelief, to not believing the scriptures. So when you think about it in the individual life, you can see how those are huge things connected. But think about it in, in regards to churches. Okay? Churches who ought to be the pillar and support of the truth. But, but, but what happens too often, if you look at the modernism controversy, uh, they began to see that, that, that they looked dumb for believing in miracles. And, and, these, and they said... Uh, they were afraid. They often was just afraid of what people would think, culture would think, thought they'd be rejected. And so they rejected more and more and more of God's truth. Okay? Uh, uh, and that led them, what did it lead them to do, ultimately? To unbelief. To, uh, and so I, I just read a book on the Church of Scotland that recently, uh, uh, 2016, had a good bit of their pastors leave over ordaining homosexual pastors. Okay. And the issue is, is, is how do you get to where you have a denomination of churches that used to be faithful to the gospel, but now they don't even believe God's word enough to, on the very basics of what marriage is. Right. See, it began with cowardice. Men okay, who were, were, were more afraid of danger than sin. Right? So that led them to sin to avoid the danger. And so the point is, guys, is the more I thought about his thing, I think those are huge. Those are huge. And the Bible says in the end, I'm not going to go there, but there, there, there will be a great falling away toward the end when Christ comes back. Okay? Am I saying that that's now? No. That's the worst thing. I, you've got 20 centuries of people saying, oh, it's, it's, this, it's this, this generation now because of the signs. I ain't going to add myself to the 21st generation. Okay? But I'll say this is we ought to expect that at times. And, and guys... And so this is a very real danger that we need to be warned about. And so, uh, and that's why the, 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 it's the importance then of, of the church, okay, of good churches filled with godly people standing strong on what's true, whether it's popular or not. Whether it, it leads to your churches being, you know, like in China where they got, you know, cut off and, and, and you know, persecuted. Uh, um, we don't have that here yet, but, but it could come. But the point is, is we need to stand strong to guard the truth and to be faithful. And if we don't, that truth, guys, that truth goes. If you look at those main denomination churches that quit teaching the Bible in the 1900s over the modern controversy, are those the big thriving churches today? Oh, they're the, the big buildings that are empty. 
Look in Europe, same thing. Same thing. Guys, the churches that are giving in to the homosexual and uh, all the, the, those things that are popular in our day, it's going to be the same. We need to stay faithful, guard the deposit, trust that Christ is Lord of the church. It might not be popular, and it might not lead to huge church, huge church attendance. But guys, that's not our, our responsibility. Our responsibility is to be faithful. And that's why when you recognize that, you recognize we can't do this alone. Okay? And that's why the last phrase, grace be with y'all. Okay? Grace be with youngs. See, we, we, we fight hard, fight the good fight, but we do it in the Lord's strength. Let me close by reading the last or the second stanza, I'm not going to sing it, okay? Uh, the second stanza of A Mighty Fortress is Our God, because Martin Luther understood it. He said, did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Guys, we can fight hard knowing, guys, Christ has won it. It might not look like it here, but we can, we can be confident. So let's pray and ask God to give us grace to be encouraged and, uh, and to, to, to fight that good fight. Dear God, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of being your people. And we just ask, Lord, that you would help us as a, as a little church here in Robbinsville. Help us to be faithful to you. Uh, help us to uh, uh, be faithful and be in a, a pillar in support of the truth that we would hold high the truth that lead, that, 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 and hold high the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that uh, uh, privilege. Uh, we thank you ultimately, Lord, that it's not in our strength to do it because we know we'd fail. Uh, and so we thank you that uh, we, can, we can work hard, strive in the, in the power of the Lord and, and your power, power of your spirit. And so help us to be dependent. And uh, uh, we just pray your blessings on all that we do and as individuals and as, as a church here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.